Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Guess who has two thumbs and had a J&J vaccine appointment scheduled for tomorrow? Oh my gosh, guess who has two thumbs and got a J&J vaccine on Friday? No way. Yeah. Um, how, how are you feeling about it all? A bit different than I felt then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... My leg fell asleep earlier and I was like, is this a blood clot? But I carefully read the symptoms list and I'm watching myself, so we'll see. <laughs> Sarah Overmall breaks down everything you need to know about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine pause. And we've got to get to this other breaking story as we speak. The FDA and the CDC has announced that they are now recommending a pause in the use of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. This is after six recipients in the United States developed a rare disorder involving blood clots within about two weeks of the vaccination. So, Sarah, I know this is just six cases of blood clots, though one of them was deadly out of more than six million shots given. So less than one in a million. But as a reporter and as a person, how concerned would you say you actually feel right now? Well, it's interesting. So the six people who were reported to have these blood clots, one of whom died and one of whom is in very serious condition, are all women, all between the ages of 18 and their upper 40s, which that's me too. Um, and so there's not enough data yet to say what the shared link is here between these women. People have suggested online that maybe it has to do with hormonal birth control because they're all women of childbearing age, but there's no evidence yet that that's the case. And we also don't know if all those women were on birth control. But it's safe to say that even as a healthcare reporter, I am looking at this with a little bit of alarm. I'm still in the window of time where I could get those side effects. And while it's exceedingly rare, it still is a possibility for some people. Mm -hmm. But to be clear, the FDA hasn't even said yet if these clots are related to the vaccine. So let me see if I have this straight. We don't know at all right now whether there's any correlation between your age or anything that could put you more at risk, even though all of these cases were women between the ages of 18 and 48. At this time, health officials are saying no because there's so little data, not just in terms of what we know so far about the women, although they are learning information probably by the hour about that, but just that there's just six so far. They do expect that more cases might come in as people have more awareness about what this is, and they could say, oh, that happened to so-and-so, or maybe in the next few days as people like me, um, you know, settle down with our vaccine, maybe there will be more cases from people who got vaccinated right before the pause. Um, but what they are saying is that they understand this to be a very, very rare immune system reaction causing these clots. So I think that what they're zeroing in on is understanding why that happened in those women. And if there is a shared risk, maybe a prior health condition or an age linked risk that they need to have people be aware of. As we wait for them to figure that out, in the meantime, there are tons of people like you who have gotten the shot and probably are a bit freaked out. Are there symptoms or anything that people can and should be watching for? So Food and Drug Administration and CDC officials say it would be something like a very bad and concentrated headache or abdominal pain and pain in your uh 
legs, uh-huh. but it would be quite um, noticeable. It wouldn't be just you know your basic headache. But what they're also really stressing is that you need to be upfront with any providers if you feel those symptoms that you did recently get a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And why that matters is because there's a general way to treat blood clots with a certain medicine that they do not want people to do with these blood clots because mm. they're different and that that medicine could actually even worsen the condition. So mm. they're stressing to people, if you've gotten the J&J vaccine, be upfront with providers that that's something that you have and that you think that might be linked to, you know, whatever abdominal pain or head pain you're feeling. You and I have talked about the problems the AstraZeneca vaccine has had, including a big scare in Europe recently over rare cases of blood clot cases as well. How similar is what went on there with AstraZeneca to what we're seeing here? It's quite similar, actually. So that was an interesting part of a conversation that FDA and CDC officials had with reporters on Tuesday. FDA's Peter Marks, he's the vaccine chief there, was saying that, you know, AstraZeneca's vaccine and Johnson & Johnson's vaccine rely on a very similar technology. It's called an adenovirus. It's where you use a virus in the case of those AstraZeneca uses a chimp virus and Johnson & Johnson uses a human one hmm. to put in genetic information that will help your body fight the virus. What's interesting is that adenoviruses are not a new technology. They're used in a range of other vaccines. J&J used it just a few years ago on its Ebola vaccine. So it's not that the adenovirus itself is a cause, but there's some sort of shared link here that needs to be understood. Huh. Um, what happens next here? They say this is a pause on administering J&J vaccines. How long could that last? And what happens in the meantime? Well, this definitely won't be over in a day. Uh, the FDA and CDC are both launching their own investigations into data, uh, looking to see if there's anything that we missed in terms of the safety databases that FDA has, um, and also the clinical trial data that was submitted by J&J when it went for authorization. So that's going to take them a little while. And then today, the CDC has an expert panel called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices convening to discuss whether they should be updating their recommendation for J&J's vaccine and maybe even limiting the use of the vaccine. So you'll remember that this committee met every time a vaccine was authorized for use, whether it was J&J, Pfizer, or Moderna. Mm -hmm. And for each of the three of them, they did clear the vaccines for everybody above the age of 18 or in Pfizer's case, above the age of 16. Now what they could do, and they'll be voting later today on whether this is a possibility, they could say, actually, only people above the age of 50 should be getting this shot. Hmm. Or we need to see more information in certain groups of people before we make a call on this, but it needs to be off the market in the meantime. We don't really know what's going to happen, but that's going to be what they discuss all day today. How does this set back the U.S. vaccine supply and the ability to vaccinate everyone here and, you know, President Biden's goal of getting a somewhat normal Fourth of July with with more people vaccinated? Biden officials say it doesn't mean a whole lot. Let me start by saying that this um, announcement will not have a significant impact on our vaccination program. COVID-19 response coordinator Jeff Science said during a press briefing on Tuesday that we have enough doses between Pfizer and Moderna to still vaccinate most Americans by the end of May. And that while J&J has played a role in vaccinations, it was really just a small share of the overall administration so far. The J&J vaccine makes up less than 5% of the more than 190 million recorded shots in arms 
in the United States to date. So the Biden administration is more or less shrugging this off a bit. But it's going to be interesting because Johnson & Johnson has still promised 100 million doses by this summer. And I think that they still have a role to play, not just in the U.S., but also in global vaccination. And so there is going to have to be a decision at some point about whether they come back to use in the U.S. market. And if not, how all those doses get used. I guess regardless of how this affects the supply, this has got to have an effect on the way people view vaccinations, right? Like even if this turns out to be nothing or if it turns out it's best to, you know, limit the use of J&J to certain groups of people and we get new guidance on that, what sort of effect does pausing a vaccine like this have in a nation that is already struggling with vaccine hesitancy? That's the real concern right now. And I think we're going to see that play out, especially on the state level, as they grapple with how to move people who had J&J appointments over to Moderna and Pfizer ones. And then if J&J comes back, how to message about the safety there and that people can trust it. And here's why. The government will tell you that this is actually a point in their corner because they caught this quickly and are investigating the cause. Mm. I don't know if that's how your average people will feel about it. And so if you look, for instance, at Europe, uh, where this very same thing happened with AstraZeneca's vaccines and concerns about blood clots, confidence there plummeted and it still hasn't come back. And that's when And even AstraZeneca is still in use and is one of the primary suppliers in that region. So I do think we're going to be seeing that play out more in the coming days and weeks. And regardless of what decisions are made about how to use the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, there's going to be some complicated messaging issues as well. Do you think the FDA and the CDC made the right call here, given the risk of potentially scaring people, creating hesitancy, but then also obviously wanting to be safe and wanting to be transparent about it all. Was this the right move? Oh, that's a <laughs> that's a hard question to answer because like you said, there's really a heavy cost-benefit analysis there. They didn't want to scare people, but also if there is a concern here and millions of people are getting dosed with this, the amount of doses are going up day by day, then people would have asked, why didn't you do something sooner? I think that ultimately... They did make the right call in the sense that they very transparently went out and said, we're doing this, here's why, and here are the next steps we're going to take with you know, a public meeting of these CDC experts with these press briefings to help people understand what happens next. Uh, so I think they did the best that they could with a really difficult dilemma here. Sarah Overmall. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, new data from the Education Department shows that more than 36 million Americans, or 80% of people with student loan debt, would have their federal loans completely erased if the Biden administration were to agree to progressive demands to cancel up to $50,000 per borrower. The federal data was released on Tuesday by Senator Elizabeth Warren, who requested it from the agency earlier this month. Warren and other Democrats, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, have been pressing President Biden to use executive authority to cancel student loan debt. The Biden administration has said it's reviewing the issue. And 
The Department of Housing and Urban Development is moving to reinstate two Obama-era fair housing rules that were weakened by the Trump administration. According to notices from the Office of Management and Budget, the agency will restore the original versions of a 2015 rule that was revoked by former HUD Secretary Ben Carson, requiring cities to address residential segregation in order to access federal funds, and a 2013 measure cracking down on unintended discrimination. The resurrected rules mark one of the biggest steps HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge has taken since her swearing in last month. President Biden signed an executive order directing HUD to redress racially discriminatory housing policies in January. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned in just a sec to hear more about a brand new weekly Politico podcast called Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, right? Boy, is it ever, you know? Is it ever. What's it like behind the scenes in our nation's capital? Like the side that most people never get to see. D.C. is a... D.C. is a place where... Um, um, is the town filled with status-obsessed, narcissistic, backbiting people... Everybody has an agenda. When someone calls to curse me out, it's not fun. And people should stop doing that. Didn't your mom tell you to be nice? At Politico, we hear it all. And coming soon, you will too. The old cliche that Washington is Hollywood for ugly people does still ring true. So while people might not wear great suits... A lot of it might be polyester and maybe not well-fitted. You just have to be aware that there is money involved in everything in Washington. Power. And a lot of it. Arm-twisting and influence very quickly muddy what folks intended to do or wanted to do. Presenting Politico's new podcast, Playbook Deep Dive, where Playbook insiders spill their secrets, gossip, lies, bad behavior. Oh, actually, you should probably cut that because that's, that might be illegal. <laughs> and everything else that happens behind closed doors. And if anybody knows Lisa Murkowski, it's that she walks extremely fast. <laughs> okay. And she knows how to get in out without people seeing her. <laughs> I found it incredibly difficult and awkward to ask a U.S. congressman if he was an arsonist in front of his wife. We're in high heels. We can't do it anymore. We literally take our high heels off. <laughs> We're barefoot in the middle of D.C. How disgusting is that? But we've got to find this woman. Often at the end of the day, all of those backbiting people are doing things for a more just cause than most things in Hollywood. And underneath all the theater, the backstabbing, the strategy... You come here to change your country for the better and to, to do good things for the nation... The biggest reason these stories matter is simple, because there are real-life consequences. I just kept hearing gunfire, um, and I lie there. I had my—I was lying on my left side um, with my head down, trying to pretend that I was dead. And sometimes, stories that stop you in your tracks— as when Representative Jackie Spear relived her near-death experience. And I was shot five times, and I looked 
at the right side of my body, I was, I knew I was dying. Playbook Deep Dive is a new weekly podcast from Politico. Those juicy, weird, insider, important stories in politics are what we're going to be telling each week. I don't know if you saw this, and I'm looking at a piece by Politico. Politico has this story. Featuring reporters from all around the Politico newsroom and characters from all across Washington, D.C. So please join us for Politico Deep Dive coming April 23rd. Have a look at this in Politico.